Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you reached down for us, Lord. Father, we could not come to where you were if you had not reached down. Lord, and come and shed your blood on the cross, Lord, for our sake, for for our sin, Lord, that we could be forgiven, that we could be made whole again, that we could come back into your presence to know you, Lord, and be known. 
as you are, Lord. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you that we could be in this house. We're grateful, Lord Jesus, that you are here. We're grateful, Father, that you would come where you're invited, Lord. Father, we've invited you, Father, and we thank you. We ask, Lord, you be in this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to ask you to have your seats for a moment or two. I will sing another song, so don't run away on me just yet. Because I've got more announcements than I can shake a stick at, I guess. But, amen. Sister Ann here. Sister Ann is there. God bless you. Welcome. Welcome back home. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're happy that you had safe travels and you've made it back home again. Amen. It's good to see you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Let's also say welcome to Sister Terry. Where is she at? There she is. Traveling up north. Sister Ann was south and west. You were north and west as well. God bless you. And Sister Marion is... Sister Miriam, are you here as well? Where's she at? She's in Saskatchewan. Oh, she just kept on going. You forgot to hit the brakes. Amen. All right. Well, she's there enjoying the services with Sister Bethia. Amen. Amen. We had a wonderful time on, on Friday. We had the, um, I guess I kind of called it the young people wrap-up, even though, I mean, in reality, maybe we'll do it again or something like that throughout the summer and just get together and have a good time played some volleyball, played some badminton, and sang some songs, and ate some food, and things that people enjoy, you know? Amen. And uh, we had a real wonderful time there. I thank the Lord for his presence and being there, and, and everything was really well. Yesterday, we also had uh, the Sunday school wrap-up. For those of you who have Sunday school children, you know that. And uh, they took them down to Wetaskiwin, to the museum there, and I want to just say thank you Thank you to the Sunday school teachers, first of all. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your labors and what you've done with our children. And also thank you to Sister Naomi, um, who is involved with the Sunday school music. I'm looking for her right now, and she's hiding from me. She's behind me. That's why she's hiding from me. God bless you. Amen. She was involved in the singing and also in the busing and everything yesterday. God bless you. Amen. We appreciate you and Brother Jared as well. Amen. I just want to say happy birthday as well as a couple birthdays of a couple young brothers that are, are very dear to me, mostly because I can never remember their names properly. Uh, Brother Joseph and Brother Joshua Ugbo had their birthdays this weekend. They're 10 and 12 now. God bless you. You're almost a teenager, Joseph. <laughs> Amen. Happy birthday to them. Amen. We will have, uh, maybe I'll just announce it this way. That is that uh, I do have an announcement to make an email that was given to me. Brother Ed isn't here this morning. He had uh, slipped away uh, to be at the meetings in Saskatchewan as well. And he's enjoying himself there. And he felt led to just go and support Brother uh, Brother Hildebrandt down there and Brother Kelly and be with them. And he's enjoyed the meetings there so far. He said they've had a wonderful time in the house of the Lord. But I want to just, this is from Brother Ed and also from the trustee board of End Time Message Tabernacle, um, just to follow up on the construction 
fire at the Adrian's early, earlier this year. Um, and just fill you all in, as, as you were made aware, the fire resulted in a loss of both personal and business belongings and equipment of Brother Ray and Sister Tabitha and their company at Reside Renovations. The company we know was contracted by our church to construct new pews, and as a result of the fire, there was also significant loss of material and labor expended in what was the final stages of pew construction. The matter has been before the insurance company and been delayed as a result of the interaction of the personal, business, and material, and stock material aspect of the claim. It has undergone scrutiny, and there has been some conflict and delays, and as a result, the matter has entered into legal channels. Reside Renovations is undertaking this directly at this time, and for legal purposes, we ask that you all give them some time and space for this process to function independently. Therefore, we ask that we as a church do not get into details and discussion directly related to business or contractual matters with Brother Ray and Sister Tabitha. Please be respectful to them as a brother and sister in Christ. We are, however, first and foremost, a body of believers, and when one suffers, we all suffer. Therefore, we as the elders, the officers, and as the congregation are fully in support of the Adrians. Amen? Amen. It says, they have conducted themselves honorably and with integrity despite the obvious trial and strain before them. They need our moral and spiritual support and prayer above all. Lastly, we as a church are here to support them in any material need they may have. This is an attack of the enemy, not only on them, but on all of us as a church. Let us continue in prayer, looking for the Lord to make a way in all of this. We will keep you updated in periodic intervals. Thank you from Brother Ed and the trustee board. Amen. Let's re- continue to remember them in prayer. Amen. It's, it's anyone who's dealt with insurance companies knows there's always delays. There's always time. So this is just an update to let you know it's being worked on. But let's just remember them in prayer. We love them. We love you dearly, Brother Ray, Sister Tabitha. Amen. Amen. There will also be a prayer meeting this Tuesday, uh, 7.30 here at the church, if you're interested in coming and praying for about an hour and just um, letting off the pressure. Amen. Remembering the needs in the body before the Lord. And let's stand together. Maybe we'll just sing a a song before we turn to the word. Lord, my heart is open. Won't you come inside? Lord, my heart is open.
sing it once more to him as we open our hearts to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my heart is open. And won't you come inside? Fill up all my softly and we bow our heads together maybe you have a need on your heart that you are mindful of and you just want to slip your hand up to the Lord not before a man but before God to say Lord I'm opening up to you now this morning would you come speak to my heart answer my need Lord I'm in need of a touch from you Heavenly Father Lord Jesus you see every hand that's raised every heart that's represented Lord Every spiritual need, every fleshly need, Lord. Every need down in our souls, Lord, for you look on the hearts of men. You know who we really are, Father. Even when we think one thing, you know the things that we struggle with. You know our trials. You know our innermost beings, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your keeping power, Lord, and how you've kept us through these dark ages, Lord, and the trials. And Lord, every time and every summer as we enjoy the beautiful weather, it brings out the worst in this world, Lord. But Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have something in your bride that has kept us, Lord. It's your spirit, Lord, that has brought us through all of the, the, the sin and the, the temptations of the world. And Lord, we thank you we can come into your house and put all those things on the outside and just focus on you this morning and allow you to come and speak to our hearts afresh. Thank you for your healing touch in many this week, Lord. Father, you've been so good to us, Lord. You know the written needs, Lord. Father, how they were remembered. Sister Susan, Lord, pray you be with her, Lord Jesus. Father, we just commit this now into your hands, Lord. We ask that you come and break the bread of life again to us. Reveal your word again into our hearts. And Lord, may we be, Lord, as it was on the road to Emmaus. That you come and speak words to us that maybe we don't understand right away. But oh, as the days go on, may it become more and more real in our my hearts and minds. Father, we commit ourselves to you. We love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. Turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Amen. Amen. I don't think I'm going to bring too much or any new this, this morning but to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. But I want to speak this, this morning on the value of Christ proven by your life. The value of Christ proven by your life. And as we start here in Galatians chapter 2, it says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, 
but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ and we, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if we build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Saying if we're going to live by the law and we tear something down and say that was wrong and then find out later it was okay and try to build it back up again, we make ourselves a transgressor by our own confession. But we can't, no man can be justified by the law. And he says this, he says, For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Amen. And may the Lord's blessing to the word, you may have your seats. Amen. I wonder how many of us could say like Paul, and I'm sure there's many of us, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not frustrate, frustrate the grace. How could it be possible to frustrate unmerited grace? But yet by impl- imp- implying that he does not frustrate the grace of God, he's implying that it is possible to frustrate the grace of God. That you can live in such a way that you're just constantly relying on, I just come and I just repent and I don't, I, I don't live it and I come and I repent and I don't go live it and I come and I repent and I don't go live it. The, fr- the grace of God becomes frustrated because it's not taking the effect that it was meant to take. The grace of God was to give us salvation. The grace of God was to give us the new birth, the Holy Ghost. But if we're unwilling to live by it and to accept and to live by faith, rather to try and live by the works of the law, we begin to frustrate the grace of God. Amen. But now, that's, that's not necessarily my, my subject this morning, but I want to speak on this and the value of Christ proven by your life And really, because we could talk about value and we could take value from a a definition perspective. We could take it from the dictionary and talk about what it means, the word means and things. But in reality, value is different to every individual. Because we all place value on different things. If I was to come to each of you personally, maybe not on a Sunday, but maybe on, you know, a Friday morning, maybe is your least spiritual time. I don't know, maybe it's Monday morning for you. But, but to come to a time when you're not really thinking about church, you're not really thinking about this or that, you're just kind of maybe pondering on the weekend and I was to come to you in an unexpected time and say, show me something of value. Show me something that you value. Different ones would show me different things. But maybe some of you would bring me your Bible and say, this is a value. And some of you would show me and say, and talk about something that isn't tangible, maybe about wisdom or something. Say, this is a value. Maybe some would bring me um, uh, um, 
show me their car or their house or something else that they deem to be of value. But rather, it is because value is a personal word. It's something that is different for every individual, and it's only something that, that you deem to be valuable. So, and, and, and it'd be different to one person, money in the bank is of value. If their bank account is large, to them, that's a value. And they, they've looked for that their whole life, and they value that. But the next person maybe has no money in the bank, but they drive a nice car. And to them, that car is of value, and they keep that car clean, and they take care of that car. They take care of that certain something because they, they deem that to be of more value than numbers on a computer screen. They deem the, the actual object. And someone else might not have any money in the bank. They might not have a nice car, but they have a nice house. And they deem that to be a value. And there's some people that don't deem nice houses as value. They drive a beautiful... I, I drove by a, a place one time. This always sticks out in my memory. It was... Uh, in, in a trailer park, and it was just kind of a mobile home, and it wasn't a nice one. It was just run down, and it wasn't very well kept. But in the driveway was a big jacked-up pickup truck and a Corvette parked underneath a little tarp, and they had all kinds of beautiful But that was their value. They valued the car over the home because to them, that was what was of value to them. And maybe to the, to the, to the, to the fourth person, they say, well, value is the food that I eat. They value good food. They won't eat bad food. Different people have different values. Do some of you look at it and go, yeah, that's right. I, I like a good steak. The next person says, well, I don't really, uh, food doesn't mean all that much to me. And I'm, I'm, my value is my figure. I need my six pack and I need my big muscles and I need all these things. And so I'll, I'll eat less and I'll eat, you know, all these because something different has become a value. The next person can't give up chocolate. A couple giggles there because some of you value that. I really like chocolate. I really enjoy those things, so I can't give that up. And, but it, be, it depends upon you. See, but regardless, maybe of what you may point to, like I said, if I was to come to you and ask you what was of value, you might show me something. But then if I don't ask you, but I just come and start talking with you, I will begin to know what is of value to you without asking you what is of value to you. If I sit down and talk with somebody and all they want to talk about is their career, and you, they never want to talk about the Lord and you're trying to reject that and they just want to talk about work and they want to talk about business, they want to talk about other things, well, that's fine, but that shows what their value is, that that's what they want to spend their time on. Your conversation and your life betrays what you really value. To one person, perhaps, they've got a big business that they, they spend all their time at, and they might tell you, I value my family, but their life shows that their family is not as important as their career because they haven't spent any time with the family. They spent all their time on the other thing, on the, on, on the fun or on the entertainment. Someone else might value something else and say, well, I just really value fishing. And they say, well, I really love my family so much, I wish they'd come with me fishing, but they're going to go out fishing every day regardless if their family comes or not. Well, what's of more value to you? The family or the fishing? I can say the hunting. Is the hunting more important to you than the family? And I'm just comparing it for the sake of, so you can understand where I'm getting at with value. To someone else, he says, well, I'm poor. I don't have much personal entertainment. I don't got much going on. But I spend all of my spare time with my family. It shows where their value is at. It shows to them what, they're, what, they, what they care about the most in life. 
And now as, as we're talking about the value of Christ, the Christ is, as, as, I, as I've said it before, is Christ is the anointed one. We could talk about the value of Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ and we can know that his value is, is unmeasurable. It's impossible to put value on the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one that could come and die for our sins, the perfect one. But now if I take it outside of a name and I just say the value of Christ, the value of the anointed word made flesh in your day, what is the value of that to you? Now, all of us here this morning, if I started with Brother Bob and I went all the way down through each person, maybe ended up in the back with Brother Ernie and talked about what is it to you, what do you, all of you would say, oh, I value it so much, I value it so much. But now to go out and live it, that proves how much you value it. If you're willing to live the life of Jesus Christ or if rather it just becomes words and deeds and the actual living out of the life is not really of any value to you. Amen. And I trust we've come to a place as the, as the body of Jesus Christ that the life of Jesus Christ in us is of ultimate value. And I would even say as Jesus is of unlimited and unmeasurable value, so ought his spirit to be. Amen. But my thought this morning is what is the value of the anointed word made flesh today to you? Because we can have many good tendencies. We say, well, I don't put anything on top of a Bible. The Bible always goes on top. And we can have other good tendencies. We say, well, I don't put anything on top of a message book. The only book I'll put on top of a message book is the Bible. And even then I try not to put them on top of each other. Because I value them. But that's an outward show. That's a conscience decision. What about a subconscious decision? Something that comes from the heart. Something that just happens. I was listening to a message and Brother Branham was talking about and he was saying, a Christian life isn't seeing someone in need and saying, oh, well, I need to go and talk to them or I need to go help them with that need or I need to go do this and consciously making that decision. A Christian life just does it. Without consciously making that decision, it's a life that's in you that you, you're not going around and saying, well, let me tell you, I went out and I fed so many hungry people and I did so much for so-and-so and I seen somebody in need and I gave them an offering. And a Christian life makes no mention of it. It's just something that comes from the inside and pushes out and just begins to realize, oh, there's a brother in need. Well, praise God for telling me you just go deal with it and you're not even talking about it anymore. Why? Because it's something in you that lives for others because eternal life is living for others. Therefore, that life has to have an outlet somewhere to live for somebody else. Amen. And that's the real enjoyment of, 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 uh, of living the, the, the Christian life is when other people are happy, that's when you know that you're living the right kind of life. The real life of Christ doesn't live for their own um, uh, um, benefit. It lives for the benefit of everybody else. So everybody else, like I said, if everybody else is having a good time, I'm having a good time. And if we all thought that way, we'd all be having a good time. Amen. How much do we value the word becoming flesh? Let's turn to a, a very familiar scripture. Revelations chapter 10, verse 7. We'll just insert this here to bring it back to the forefront of your memory. Revelations chapter 10, a very phenomenal chapter to everyone that is a part of the bride. 
Talking about the seven thunders, the angel coming down with an open book in his hand, and we could preach on all these things for hours and hours and preach the deep things of God. And quite often when we preach these things, if I'm honest with you, it's hard to apply it to your personal life. Because it's just, it's great revelation, and it's out here. But now how does it come right down to where the rubber meets the road? But now as it says in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 7, as we know it, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, and as he, do, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Amen. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel that standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went to the angel and said unto me, give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up. Now notice the first voice that he heard, it just said, go and take the book. Go take the little book, which is open. It didn't say for him to eat it. It said, take it, just take it. So we went and he took it. And how many of us, I'm going to wonder, stop there. Well, I got it. I've got the message book. I've got all the way from 47, all the way to 65, sitting on a bookshelf at home. Praise God. They've got a bit of dust on top. I hope not. And I've got the Bible. And I've got a Bible on my coffee table. And I've got a Bible by my bedside. And I've got a Bible in my car for when I go to church so I don't forget. So that way I make sure i got one there. i got a spare one in my trunk just in case. I make sure i got a Bible everywhere I go. I got a Bible on my phone. I got three Bibles on my phone. I got one that's amplified. I got one that's blue letter Bible. I got the Takata Bible. I got this other Bible. I've got all these Bibles everywhere. Praise God, I've got the Bible. I took the book. I listened to the voice of the first angel. But did you listen to the mighty angel? The one that was holding the book. Which was who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't say, just take the book. He said, take the book and eat the book. He said, There's, you've got to be, the book has to become flesh again. It can't just be a book. It was never meant to be just an open book. It was meant to be a living epistle, read of all men. Amen. It was meant to be something that was living and breathing. That was the purpose of God, the threefold purpose of God manifesting himself. It wasn't just to come down and unveil and unveil and unveil and unveil, but the unveiling of God is a manifestation of God. Amen. He interprets his own word by bringing it to pass. Amen. So it said this, and then went to the angel, and he said unto me, said unto him, give me the little book. He said, take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, and it shall make thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, thou shalt prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now listen to that last verse, verse 11. That is not a conscience thing. That is, in other words, you are what you eat. If you've been eating the book, what comes back out is the book. Amen. If you've been eating something else, that something else will come out and you'll have to subconsciously stop and think, okay, what did I read the other day? Right, there was a scripture, and there was a verse. Now, that's not a bad thing. We have to do that sometimes because we're human. But if you've been eating on the book, there's something in you that you just desire to have fellowship around the word of God. That fellowship begins to just come out of you in a way that you're not really understanding. I don't know about you, but I've asked some people that are just worldly people, and I just start talking about the word, and I go, who am I talking to? Hold on a second. They don't understand a word that I'm saying. 
but it's just something I was feeding on. I just start talking to them about it, and hopefully it has an effect on them, and I, I pray it does. But if we could be that way, because I believe that's the way the message gets spread and the gospel gets spread, not because you consciously look at somebody and say, all right, Philip, you look like a Christian. I think I'll share the message with you. You look like a good person. I think he might get it. We don't know. It's not for us to choose who's who. It's not for us to choose the right and the wrong and the best and the worst. And as I, I was even looking through the life of Peter, and as you know, I've been studying a lot on Peter, but he, he, Peter looked more like we would call a Judas than Judas did. Peter was the one that rebuked Jesus with, with no real reason. When, Ju when Judas rebuked Jesus, he had a logical reason. When he came and Judas said, the, that perfume should not have been spent on anointing you. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Now the Bible records, because Jesus could perceive his thoughts, so the Bible records that he actually wanted it for himself because he was the keeper of the purse. But the other 11 sitting around him and everyone else at the feast, they didn't perceive his thoughts. They looked at it and they looked at Judas like, oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty logical actually. But there, there comes Peter in front of all the other ones, and Jesus says, well, I must, go, I must go away, and he begins to explain his eternal purpose, and Peter just rebukes him and says, Lord, far be it from you, they'll never kill you, and Jesus rebukes him and says, Satan, thou art an offense to me. There was no logical reason behind it. The other 11 couldn't be like, yeah, come on, Peter. Peter was the guy that was carrying around a fish hook in his pocket. Claiming to be a follower of Christ, left the fishing behind, but really, he always had a little something to fall back on. Just in case. Peter was the guy that was always speaking out of turn. Right? It was Peter that was the boisterous one. If you look at the why, why Peter had to go and, and catch a fish with that hook that was in his pocket in order to get money out of the fish's mouth, is because Peter opened his mouth. What happened? They asked Peter, does your master pay the temple taxes. Does he pay taxes? And Peter said, yeah, of course he does. And then he had to go over here to Jesus and be like, do we pay taxes? Because Peter just thought he could just give an answer, but then he goes, I guess I've never really asked him about that, actually. But as he gets over here to Jesus, Jesus doesn't wait for him to ask the question because he already knows what he's going to ask before we pray. So he just tells him, take the hook that's in your pocket. Go put it in the river. The first fish you catch, go pull it out. See, God's got a purpose in everything. But to everyone else sitting around, maybe there was Peter. They asked Peter, but maybe there was James and John and Thaddeus and all these different ones that were standing around Peter. And he says, yeah, of course he pays taxes. And they goes, he does? How many of you have gotten in trouble like that? Don't show your hands. I have. Or I say something and then go, let me go qualify that for a minute because that just came out of me and I need to stop and hold on, let me get back to you. It happens to us, we're human. When we say our best, it just jumps out of us. We go, oh, hold on a second here. I gotta go justify that real quickly. But Peter was that kind of individual. When it even come down to the last supper, who was the first person to ask Jesus, is it I? It was Peter. When Jesus said, there one of you will portray me. It wasn't Judas jumping up going, oh, man, I knew it. No, Judas didn't say a word. He sat in the back. Thought, I'm good. No one knows. I don't mean in the back, sorry. But 
he sat there and tried to hide in the crowd and come up with his best logical answers and his best logical reasonings. And it was Peter that was right there saying, Lord, is it me? Am am I that one? But what we look at and saying, that person, surely they've got problems. God looks at and says, he's got an open heart. He's not trying to hide things in his heart. He's trying to bring it out and trying to make sure that he's right before God. Amen. It's not how we look upon and say, that person, they are just primed to receive the message. No, it's, Lord, who do you have? If we're feeding constantly on the word, the word constantly will be flowing back out again to whomever. Because it's the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts and whoever can receive it, whether it be someone we worked with for years and years that finally comes back to us and says, hey, what's this you've been believing? The Lord's dealing with me. Or someone that we've never met before on the street that's carrying a bag over his shoulder on a stick and carrying down, looks like he's going shopping. Maybe it's that person that walks through the parking lot that we just need to describe to them and say, hey, do you know what this is all about? I'll just say it this way. In case you aren't accustomed to the way the human body works, what goes in eventually comes out. It either comes out in a gross way or it comes out through your energy, through your, you've expended it somehow. So what you intake will come out. What you're feeding on will come out. I'm saying all this for a purpose. But Abraham says in the message to guide, it says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit always speaks of the Word. It's got many things to tell you that you cannot understand it now. But he says, I've got many things to tell you that you cannot understand it now. But when he comes, he'll guide you to it. Speaking of Jesus talking about the Holy Ghost will be your guide. He says, that's the reason the coming of the seals. At At the finishing of the seventh seal, the mystery of God should be finished to know who God is, what he is, how he lives, his nature, his being. It's a direct quote, 1962, a guide. He says, but he says this, but you're supposed to be all the way up here by that time. Now, why don't you put that slideshow up there, Sister Ruth? Just go ahead and put the first slide up there. I'll use the laser pointer. It says, when the seventh seal, the finishing of the seventh seal, the mystery of God should be finished. Now, that's nothing new to us, right? Amen. We know that in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound. This is a very familiar slide to all of us. You see that okay? Okay, good. All right. He says, but it should be finished. To know who God is, what he is, how He lives his nature, his being. But you're supposed to be all the way up here. Because what this is, Jesus Christ. This is agape love. This is God himself. This is him coming down to cap off his church. But we've got to be up here to receive this. So I want to know how he lives. I want to know his nature. I want to know everything about him. I want the complete revelation of him. Well, you've got to be up here before you can receive this. 
Brother Brown would talk about it's got to be a honing down of brotherly kindness. In other words, if something's jagged, it's like if you've ever seen a, a sound file. When someone's talking, it's a, it's a large spike. When it's quiet, it comes down to a small spike. Talking large spike, right? It's going up and down. If you've ever seen the sound file, the way it works. I've edited a lot of podcasts lately, so I've, I know exactly how that is. But if, if you've seen the way that is, that's, that's something that needs to be honed down and made level. It's something in the sound industry you call normalize it to make it so there's not huge spikes and not low lows, and then someone's listening to it and it's But rather, it's, it's even, it's easy to listen to. But, but you need to do something to it. You have to take it and you have to edit it and you have to go through it and you have to make it so that way it's easier to listen to. It's the same when you're honing down. Brother Bram will talk about how you're honing down and that, that top has to be to receive that capstone to come down. What is it? That brotherly kindness is not, well, I'm kind to this person, but not to that person over there. And I'm really happy with that person over there, but not to this person over here. And I like that brother over there. He did something good for me, so I'm going to do something for him. But this sister over here, man, she just really grates on me. And that sister over there, and you see, you got highs, you got lows. How can God come down into that when our brotherly kindness, which brotherly kindness is a type of filial love, it's not, brotherly kindness is not a gopo love. It's your love for your brother and sister just putting out because if you're intaking the word of God, it begins to push out for everybody without discrimination. Amen. That no matter who it is, no matter what they look like, if they look like they're a good Christian, if they look like they're a bad Christian, if their emotions are up and down, if their emotions are, are flat and even and they're very stoic, that's wonderful. But, but brotherly kindness is something that is a kind to every brother and sister. Amen. It's the spirit of Christ in you pushing out through your natural being through your spirit, through your flesh, is brotherly kindness. Amen. So the Bible says, speak the truth in love. Because agapo love can be very sharp sometimes. I get into that a whole bunch tonight if you want, or this morning. But agapo love can be very sharp, very cutting, very straight. Jesus was many, many times. But he spoke that truth through an avenue of brotherly kindness. That it was received. And if the brotherly kindness isn't there, then it just becomes taking a sword and hacking everything apart and trying to call it agapo love. The church, he says, you're supposed to be all the way up here at this time, right up in here. Laodicea, it's an age of brotherly kindness for the bride. It's certainly not an age of brotherly kindness for the world. They've got their perverted version of it. Just accept everybody. Everybody's okay. That's the world's perversion. We accept everybody, just not the sin. It says, you're supposed to be that way all the way up here at this time. See, bring us into a stature of sons and daughters of God. A church that's washed in the blood of Christ, that's bought without money, is paid for by the blood of Christ. Proverbs 10 and verse 12, you don't have to put it up there, but very short verses. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sin. It doesn't say love covereth some sins. 
Love covereth all sins. Too many times we are so quick to uncover everybody's sin. Oh, we find something out about somebody and it's just got to, we just got to share it with the next person. Did you know, brother so-and-so, he had this problem and that problem and this one and that one and his family and this person and that person. Do you love them? Love covereth all sin. How legalistic have we gotten in the message to the point where we look at it and we say, well, this brother, he didn't respond correctly. There was a problem in this church and he wrote a letter to try and cover that up. Love covers all sin. It's not accepting all sin to come into the church. But if you love that person, you'll pray for them. And if God leads you to go and talk to them, it'll come out through a way of brotherly kindness. So Brother Brennan would say, if you can't sit down after you've talked with somebody and sit down and still call them brother afterwards and put your arm around them and say, God bless you, you're doing something wrong and you need to be up here at the altar. I know I'm mashing a couple quotes together there, but that, that's, that's the reality of it. You got to be able to uh, uh, speak the truth in love because love will cover all sins. Amen. Not hang someone out to dry. Well, let's just go somewhere else here for a minute. This is hitting home for some, so I'm just going to stay on it for a minute. We say it this way. You are the object of God's love. Brother Branham says that. You are the object of God's love. His agapo love poured out. You're the object of it. You're the purpose behind it. You're the one he's trying to get to. Filial love, as Brother Brennan would talk about, filial love, if someone were to insult your wife, filial love will take a pistol and blow that man's brains out because of her. But agapo love will make you pray for that man's lost soul. Amen. Jesus said it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and drown in the depths of the sea than to offend the the least of these my little ones. Now catch what I'm saying here for a minute. Filial love in a human relationship, a man and a woman, filial love for your wife, brothers, will make you, when someone insults her, will make you take a pistol and go blow that man's brains out. Now maybe you're not that violent, so let's say it this way. Filial love will make you punch him in the face. I always get so quiet when you talk about this. Everyone's like, man, Brother Andrew. But this is the reality of agapo love, though. If it's Christ in your heart, agapo love will make you pray for that individual. Right? But Jesus begins to describe his love. And he begins to say this. He says, it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and drown in the depths of the sea than to offend the least of these my little ones. Who's these little ones that Jesus is talking about? His bride. So what's he just, he's expressing his agapo love. Now we're talking about the mystery that Paul speaks of when Paul says in Ephesians 5, I speak to you a mystery because I'm talking about Christ and his bride. Amen. I'm not talking now about a man and a woman. I'm talking about Christ and his bride. So let me say it. Let me go take this further. So see, the love of redemption through agapo love is so much greater than filial love. But so is the damnation of agapo love so much greater than filial love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But he also said this, if you jump down, let me just, I didn't put it in here, so I got to turn to it. John chapter 15, verse 13. 
It's actually still in John chapter 4 that he says it, but forgive me. Oh, that's not the right. There it is. John chapter 3. Verse 19 says, for this is the condemnation. Now, just up, John chapter 3, verse 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But if you jump down to verse 19, it says, but this is the condemnation. That light came into the world. What was that light? It was Jesus Christ. I'll say it this way. It was Christ. It was the anointed word made flesh. That was what was the condemnation came in. But it wasn't that light in itself that was the condemnation. But rather, it says, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So in other words, it wasn't that the light was the condemnation, but rather it was what man did with the light. If they valued the light or not, that was the condemnation. So you say, well, it was the love of God that sent light into the world. Yes, but it was also condemnation coming in behind it. Why? Because they refused it. You see, the, 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 the redemptive agapo love of God is the greatest love there is, but also it's the most damning love there is. Because if you reject it, there's nothing left but eternal death. Greater love, the Bible would say, has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And he said, Jesus also said in another place, and I'm just going through a number of scriptures here, but to speak against him when he was here, it'll be forgiven you. Right? When they spoke against the Pharisees, didn't he? He said, well, to speak against me, that'll be forgiven you. He says, but when the Holy Ghost has come, to speak one word against what, what him will never be forgiven you, not in this world or the world to come. So what's he saying? He's saying, well, just to speak, what's the Holy Ghost? It's the life of Christ. But it's not the third person of the Godhead out there. It's the life of Christ in you. So what he's saying, to speak one word against what I'm doing in my bride will never be forgiven you. Now it brings it down personally. It didn't say to speak one word against you. Catch that now. There'll be many that say things against me. And I believe that'll be forgiven them. But to speak against what God's doing in me. To speak against what God's doing in you. Now we've come to a different story because that's not Ray Adrian. That's Jesus Christ working through him. Amen. I can put all of your names there. That's not, that's not you. Now we got to be careful. It brings it down to a place where we realize, what is Jesus talking about? He's saying, listen, I love you. My love is poured out upon you. But don't speak against it. Yes. Romans chapter 12 says, recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. He's not really talking about how to consciously live the life of a Christian. He's giving instructions of how to live with the Holy Ghost. 
Recompense no man evil for evil. The Holy Ghost won't do that. So he's saying, if you're living with the life of Christ in you, neither will you. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Well, Jesus never was dishonest in the sight of any man. No man could lay a finger on them. They had to get false witnesses to, to, to condemn him. If as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. He's not saying, listen, to this person over here, they're a different temperament, so they're not going to live, live very peaceably. But this person over here, they're a very patient person, so they're going to live more peaceably. Well, that's our personality. But what he's talking about, as much as the Holy Ghost lies in you, it will cause you to live peaceably with all men. As much as the Holy Ghost is in you, if you've got a bigger measure, more of a measure of the Holy Ghost, it will cause you to live peaceably with more despicable people. Say, really, Brother Andrew? Just look at the life of Christ. He went before the most despicable people, willing to beat him, to put thorns on his head, to smote him with the reed, to rip his beard out with their bare hands, to do all of these things, and eventually hammer nails through his hands and his feet and hang him on a cross, and he said, Father, forgive them. As much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. How do I not avenge somebody, but I give place to wrath? In other words, wrath isn't your place. Give place to it. Because the next statement is, vengeance is mine. For as it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. The wrath part isn't my part. My part is the forgiveness part. God's part is the wrath part. Because he said to speak one word against the Holy Ghost when he shall come. Will not be forgiven you, not in this world or the world to come. What is he saying? To speak against it. Don't, don't worry about it. When they speak against what God's doing in your life, even that is not for you to pour out wrath upon them. So how dare you? Don't you know this? Is God doing this? Don't you understand it? God's using No, 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 no. That's not your part. God sees it. When something's written on that record, oh, Lord, have mercy. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, here's that Christian life. Listen, if you stop and think about this and consciously do this, you will not do it. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If I stop and consciously thought, that person hates me, they speak evil of me everywhere they go, they've got nothing but bad out for me, they're always trying to ruin my job, my career, the this and the that, why would I help them? But if it's something just coming out of you, if it's the Holy Ghost living his life in you, you can feed your enemy. You can give him something to drink when he's thirsty. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me take it a bit more spiritual now. Satan does God's bidding. There's so many examples in the scripture. You could talk about Job, 
when the sons of God were gathered together, Satan came up before him, right? Who was the one that brought up the conversation about Job? God. Have you considered my servant Job? Sometimes we're, we're, we get all worried about it. Well, why, why is the devil always bringing up my name before God? No, sometimes it's God bringing up your name before the devil. Saying, have you considered? Oh, my goodness. Haman did the bidding of Ahasuerus. Right? Haman was the right-hand man to King Ahasuerus in the book of Esther. But Haman did Ahasuerus' bidding. If, if, Haman, if, Ahasuerus, if the king said, go do this and go do that, he went and did it. He said, all right, I give you my seal because he, he was a trusted servant of the king. But regardless of it, all of his works was not enough to outweigh the love of the king for his wife. Think about that for a minute. All, of, all that Haman did for the king, even to the point where the king said, I trust you. Here's my ring. Any decree that you sign, it's in my name now. But all of that did not outweigh the king's love for his bride. Because it, when it came right down to the contest, right down to the challenge of do I accept Haman or do I accept Esther? If I go on Haman's side, Esther's dead. If I take Esther's side, I have to kill Haman. It wasn't even a thought. He took Esther's side right there. Oh, hallelujah. Let me say it this way. All she did was find favor with the king and make her request known. That's all the bride did. That's all we can do. Our best efforts are in vain. But all we can do is live our lives in such a way that finds favor with God. For him to have favor, to recognize our faith and fill us with the Holy Ghost, to say it another way, and make our request known to him. What do you have need of? Just say it. Just speak it. When you pray, believe what you ask for, and you'll have whatever you ask for. It's not even a thought in the mind of God. Am I going to take the side with the devil? Because I gave him the permission to bug my wife. He did, because Satan can't bother you unless God gives him permission. So he gave him permission to bother you, but when you come back and say, Lord, it's too much, I believe I'm going to overcome this in the name of Jesus Christ. Not even a question. It's over. His love for her, his love for you behooves him to take vengeance upon the devil. Because he is an offense to God. Oh, think about the eternal purpose of God. Let's back it back up again. How am I doing on time? Good. Oh my, I'm not getting anywhere today. I'm so slow. I've never had to say this word. Stop pulling so hard. Satan is so concerned with the message. He's so concerned with the message. He's so concerned with it because he has Revelation 10, 7 to look for. All the mystery of God be finished. He's looking at that going, oh, man. So he's tried everything he can to stop the message going forth. And when he realized he couldn't stop the message going forth, he's tried to send it out with a tainted viewpoint. 
If you look up William Branham online, the first 10 or 12 websites you'll find are not good. Because that's what he's trying to do. He realized, I can't stop it from going out, so I'm going to try and taint it. I'm going to try and do everything I can to stop the message. But he's a fool to begin with because the the fear of the devil shouldn't be the message. It should be the message taking on flesh. But let me say it this way. He could not stop, and I'm going to put him on notice this morning this way. He couldn't stop the message going out. Neither can he stop the message becoming flesh again. He's powerless to overcome you because you have the love of the king. Amen. And all of his besties, no matter how much he does for God, no matter how much he does every bit of God's bidding, when God comes, when he comes for God, God says, go to this, go to this, go to this, go to this, go to this. All he does, all of it, God's love for you trumps his deeds every time. Because service without love is not even recognized before God. That's out of the church age book. All of your service, all of your deeds, if they're not done in love, They are not recognized before God. Hallelujah. But he can't stop producing Christ again in a many-membered bride. He couldn't stop it the first time. He couldn't stop Mary conceiving. He had hundreds of years to figure out a way to stop Isaiah's prophecy from coming to pass. And he was looking at all the virgins and making sure, but one day he got sick and tired of being around one because she kept talking about the Lord. She kept her mind on Christ. Every time she was with her husband, with her spouse-to-be husband, she wasn't talking about how handsome he was and all these different things. She was talking about the Lord with him. She wasn't talking about the natural things. That wasn't important to her. She was talking about the Lord. Clearly, that was what was in the relationship. But I think he was 40-something, been married before, and she was a 17-year-old young virgin girl. It wasn't made on looks. Are you with me? The relationship wasn't made because they had a whole bunch of things in common. But it was because they had God in common. They had a spirit in them that was drawing them together, and God had chosen them. And finally, the devil got sick and tired of being around Mary, and God said, that's what I'm waiting for. As soon as he got out of there, he, God come down in and says, thou hast found favor with God. Oh, I love that. What did she do? She found favor. And God come down. And Satan couldn't stop it then. Oh, I left for a minute. And now she's conceived. And now she's got the life in her. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure she miscarries. And he did. He made sure that there was a census going on and that she had to ride a, on the back of a mule all the way down to Jerusalem. Go ahead, brothers. When your wife gets pregnant, just ask her how much she wants to go horseback riding for a day. It's not very high on their priority list all of a sudden. They realize there's a large chance of miscarrying if I do an activity like that. Satan was trying, but she could, he could not stop it. Neither can Satan stop it today. Oh my, when you get in the presence of God and he leaves for just a moment and God comes in and puts the, puts the life in there. It just takes a moment and God can change the whole thing like that. Change your whole life around. All of a sudden, and all Satan comes back and goes, what happened? I just left for a minute. Praise God. Because he can't stop this word seed bride from coming to pass. Amen. The bride is sealed in with Christ. The last member has been redeemed. He says, the sixth seal has produced itself. The seventh seal brings him back to earth. The lamb come. This is from the message, souls that are in prison now. He says, the lamb come, took the book out of the right hand of him and sat down and claimed what he owned. Now, if you just take that little 
quote right there, and you take, the bride is sealed in with Christ, the last member has been redeemed, the sixth seal has produced itself, the seventh seal brings him back to earth, the lamb come and took the book out of the right hand of God, and sat down and claimed it that what he owned, and we, what he had redeemed, that's right. If you just take those things, you're going to look at it and say it's all over. It's all done. But he says this in the next statement, it's always been the third pole. There's your timetable. When the third pole begins to manifest itself, and it's in the working of that, it's ongoing. The bride is being sealed in. The third pole is the word becoming flesh again. But in that third pole, all of these things are taking place. Why is there an increase of tribulation in the world? Why is the world getting more sinful and more? Because the sixth seal is ramping up and ramping up towards the great tribulation. Why? Because it has to. Because you're receiving the word. And it's manifesting itself in flesh again. So the, 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 the balance has to take place in order for you to come to a place of full maturity and, and really have the stature of every man to have love come right on down on top. That sixth seal has to come to a place where it's Sodom and Gomorrah again where it's the days of Noah again. Don't worry about that. That's just a sign that God's moving. Hallelujah. In the Feast of the Trumpets, he says, and at the same time, he says, now as, as soon as the church, the bride is drawn together, she's taken up. And the mystery of the seventh seal, the seventh seal, he says, the mystery of going. Hallelujah. That's what that seventh seal is. It's us going. Once again, we always want to look at it because we're human. When we live in an age of instant gratification, we want everything to be just bam, 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 bam. All right, six seal, seven seal, all of these things going on. No, it's a process. Every seal, as it opens, it begins to unfold itself. It begins to be made known to the people. The people begin to pick it up. They begin to live it out. And it begins to manifest itself. And as all these things take place, there's something happening over here on the other side in the world as it begins to go and be another. And then something else is happening to the Jews as it's unfolding, as it's going. Why? All these things are working in the great timepiece of God. But it's all on the outside. And he's the wheel in the middle of the wheel holding it all together. And he knows exactly the time to pull the cord. Hallelujah. Improving his word, he says, you believe we're living in the last days when the Son of Man was to be manifested? He says, what would, he says, that would be all the word that's gathered up together, Luther, Wesley, Baptists, and Pentecost, and all that, all that gathered up the revelation of what's, what it's all been. Hallelujah. Tying up the loose ends. All of it coming back together. And the seventh angel was to open the seven seal mystery. It's all to be gathered up in the Son of Man. His fullness of time has come to the fullness of his word to the f manifest the fullness of his body. He knows the time to pull that scarlet thread. When the fullness of time has come to the fullness of the word to the fullness of his body. Three. God works in threes. When that all comes together, he says, that's the word. Then that's the spoken word, the rhema, spoken word, made manifest by the word, the logos. Reveal the word. It's all Christ. Ephesians church age. Mm, yeah, let's go back to this. You got more time? When did I start even? I don't even know. All right, we're good. If I don't know when I started, then I don't know when I need to end. I know when someone gets up and walks out and says, I'm done. In the Ephesian church age, he 
as we start, he begins to describe serpent seed and lay out the serpent seed doctrine. But I want to lay this in here, if I can, quickly. We start with the fact that there are two trees in the midst of the garden. The tree of life was Jesus. The other tree was definitely Satan. Because of what come forth from the fruit of that tree. Now then, we know that both of those trees had a relationship to man or they would have never been placed there. Let me say that again. Both of those trees, Jesus and Satan, had relationship to man or they would have never been placed there. They must have had a part in the sovereign plan and purpose of God in their relationship to mankind and to himself, or he would never impute omniscience, or we could never impute omniscience to God. This is all true so far, is it not? He says, now, the word most definitely sets forth that from the, before the foundation of the earth, the purpose of God was to share his eternal life with men. Amen. See, there's two vines always growing. Two trees. Forgive me, I, I, I threw this data. It didn't come to me to do this this way until about last, 9 o'clock last night. There's two trees in the garden. There's a tree of life, a tree of knowledge. There's Jesus, Satan. Has relationship to man, has relationship to man. Had to become flesh to be partaken of. Had to become flesh to be partaken of. This was interjected by the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. This was interjected through the animal kingdom, the serpent. Those who partake of this tree have eternal life. That's why it was guarded in Genesis, right? Guard the way back into the Garden of Eden. Why? Because lest they would partake of it and live forever. He says, and those who partake of this tree have eternal death. Set your affections on things above, the scripture says. Scripture also says, love not the world, neither the things of the world. The Brown majors on this in 1965 a little bit. He says, love not the world. Well, praise God, I don't love the world. Neither the things of the world. That's why I was majoring on it. You understand. Be careful what you're feeding on. Be really careful. Because what you intake will come out. One way or another, what you're feeding on will eventually make its way out. And you might think, okay, well, this is now a safe time for me to talk about this. It's never a safe time for you to talk about evil. With me? It's never a safe time to say, well, the wrong person isn't going to hear me. God hears you. And Satan hears you. And there's power in your words. The, show me where in the Bible it says there's power in your words if they're spoken over the pulpit only. No, there's, there's power in your words wherever they are. Your confession. He's the high priest of your profession. You know, I love the way it says that. He's the high priest of your profession. You know why? Because confession can be positive or negative. Profession is only positive. He's not the high priest of your Negative. But there's two trees. Let me just go a little further in the quote in the Ephesian Church Age book. I just skipped some of the, the, the scriptures that he put in there for the sake of time. He talks about Ephesians. Um, and, but it says, men, men could not directly come to partake of the tree of life in the midst of the garden. That eternal life of the tree had to become flesh first. But before God could raise and save a sinner, 
he had to have a sinner to raise to save. There wasn't any in the Garden of Eden. There had to be a fall before he could come. And he says, man had to fall. The fall, which was caused by Satan, had to have flesh to make fall. Satan had to come through flesh also, but Satan could not come through human flesh to make the fall as could Christ come in human flesh to restore the fall. Because Satan's not a creator. He couldn't create in the womb of Eve a seed and, a, and everything like, like God did in the womb of Mary. He couldn't do that because he's not a creator. But he had to come, and he says this, Satan had to come through flesh also. Satan could not come through human flesh to make the fall as Christ came. He says, but there was an animal, the serpent, so close to the man that Satan could get to that beast and through that beast could get to human flesh and cause the fall. What was the purpose of the serpent? It wasn't so that he could have a serpent. It was to get to men. The purpose of Satan getting into the serpent was so that he could mix his seed with men because he recognized this eternal purpose of God from before the foundation of the world was not to impart his eternal life to animals. Even though maybe they have eternal life on the other side. I don't know. I'm sure they do. If, if Fritz was there and his horse Prince was there, I'm sure they have eternal life. Now, praise the Lord, because in eternal life, there is no death. But rather, he also says, that, but, but also, the point was to share his eternal life with humans. That's what it was always about. He says, but there was an animal, a serpent. Satan could not get... So close to man that Satan could get to that beast and through that beast could get to human flesh and cause the fall and inject himself thereby into the human race even as Christ could one day come and inject himself into the human race, into human bodies, even to the extent of a resurrection wherein he would have bodies like unto his glorified ones. Wherein we would have bodies like unto his glorified one. Thank you. Thus that God worked out there, out here in the garden, thus what God worked out here in the garden was his predestinated plan. And when God had brought about that which was necessary to the purpose of God, then man could not get to the tree of life in the garden. Certainly not. Think about that for a minute. When Satan had brought about that which was necessary to the purpose of God. Was it, oh no, what happened? No, when he brought about that which was necessary, then men could not get to the tree of life in the garden because it wasn't time. But an animal, animal had caused the fall, had it not, through a serpent, let animal life be shed was taken and his, and his blood shed and then God had communion with man again but there was to come a day when God would appear in flesh and by means of his humiliation he would restore man, fallen man and make him a partaker of that life eternal. I'm sorry for reading such a long quote but it's for a purpose so you understand I'm getting all of this directly out of that quote and it goes, it goes even further now. There's two trees, two Edens. Right? There's the Garden of Eden. We read about it. There's Satan's Eden. The world that God so loved was this Eden. When the Bible says God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It wasn't, this, it wasn't Satan's Eden. It wasn't the sin of debauchery. It was the world that God created. 
This, was, this world was created by creative power. It was a pure seed. This is a quote coming to mind now to, to back that up that Brother Brandon does say. Animal life, tree life, he says right now because it's perverted, because we're in Satan's eating, trees even die, animals die, but on, in his garden, it's eternal. This is a pure seed. This is formed by science. Hybriding. Deformation of God's earth, Brother Branham actually calls it. This is for the bride of Christ. This Eden. This is for Satan's bride. This is the beauty of perfection. This is built to be more beautiful than God's Eden. That was the whole point behind it. It was jealousy at the beginning. Right? He wanted to make something more beautiful. I can make a better world. I can do have a better plan. I don't like this. I can do it better. It's built, to, built and designed to be more beautiful. But this is where life reigns. There's no beginning or no end of life. This is where death reigns. Everything has an end. And the sooner the better in the mind of Satan. With that two Edens, there's two spirits. Two spirits working in the framework of the church, Brother Branham would say. The spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, and there's the Antichrist. This one operates in the church. Guess what? This one operates in the church. This one uses the word as its basis, right? This one uses the word as its basis. The Bible says it would be so close, it would deceive the very elected if it was possible. He doesn't come with a different message. He just takes it, will twist it, add to it, take away from the word. This spirit will take only the word. This spirit has manifestations. It has many manifestations, many things happening. This spirit has manifestations, often the same manifestations. Brother Branham says it's in either the, the, the Sardisian or the Smyrnian church age where he talks about, and he says, Judas had manifestations. Oh, my. That he manifested the same thing Peter did, James did, John did. All these other disciples, Judas had manifestations, but yet he was not of the same spirit. He was the son of perdition, but he still had the same manifestations going on. This one can only quicken the elect. He used to make alive, quicken the new birth. As Brother Brown says in the church age book, the new birth is only for the bride, only for the elect, because there's nothing in those that are not seed to be quickened. Go ahead and just give me a pot of dirt. Show me what grows. Nothing. Take the same pot of dirt, put a seed in it. It'll grow that seed. It's got to be a seed in it. This will quicken everyone. It'll quicken. You ever watch a denominational service? You ever watch a Pentecostal service? They're all quickened. They're all dancing. They're all speaking in tongues. There's a great outpouring of the Spirit of God. Careful. It'll quicken everybody. Everybody's a son of God. We just accept it and there's no life. Yeah. It'll make room for sin by justification of scripture or quote, but doesn't produce the life of Christ. Oh, I could spend an hour and a half on that one. I won't. This will lead to repentance and produces a holy life. Yeah. Let's move on for a minute. I didn't, want, I didn't want to spend too much time on that. But just to show you, it's always, Brother Ram calls it twins. Cain and Abel, Judas and Jesus, Esau and Jacob. All down through, it's always twins. There's two spirits working in the framework of church. That's been the twins today. All down through the seven church age, it's been the two spirits working, producing what looks to be the same, but one's true and one's false. 
All right, let's bring it to this, and we'll try and close. And the seed is not air with the shuck. He says, he was God, the Logos. The word went out into the world. The word went out of God, and when it began to brood upon the earth in the beginning, and it brought forth marine life. When the spirit of God, the Logos, the word which God said, let there be, and there went out the Logos, which is the word, and the word began to, because all this, all this was in the Logos, the whole word of God, the whole Bible for every age. All the message at that time that's revealed now, it was in the Logos then. All the Bible that, that was ever written, that was ever given to the prophets, it was all in the Logos when it brooded over the face of the earth. He says, and as the Logos begin to breathe upon the earth, there come marine life and build it up in bird life and up to animal life. And finally there comes something in the representation that looked like the thing that was, be, that was, that was brooded, brewing it, brooding over it, that looked like the thing that was brewing it and brooding over it, God, a man in the very image of God. Then man, oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm just passing over it. Because as it worked its way up, marine life, bird life, animal life, it come up until he says, finally it produced something that looked just exactly before man ever had a body. It produced itself. Called it man. And then he gave it a body in its very own image. He said, and man fell like the seed has to fall. Has to go in the ground and die or else it abides alone. Then God began to brood over that. So God wasn't done brooding after the seven days of creation. Then God began to brood over that. After the fall, he come and it brought up an Enoch. It brought up an Elijah. It brought up a Moses. It brought up prophet after prophet trying to restore that image again. Trying to go back to like it was for Adam. And finally upon the earth came a genuine image of God himself again, which was God. The Logos made flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. Right? It was the, because he was still brooding over the earth, brooding over his word, making sure it was coming to pass until finally it produced itself in the fullness again. He says, and now that same Logos has a part. He's got a bride, and the same Logos, the word that cannot be tampered with, is brooding over the churches today, trying to bring back the word to its full manifestation. Hallelujah, the prophet carried the seed, the church denominations carried the seed. They've been carriers to the seed now. But notice quickly, just like the shuck hugs and holds the seed now, then the shuck leaves her. And it becomes back to seed time. That there's just the seed bride. Hallelujah, the same logos that brooded over and finally brought forth an Adam. Brooded over fallen man and brought forth Jesus Christ. Is brooded over seven church ages to bring forth itself again. The word made flesh. Hallelujah. What was Jesus manifested for? To show God. That he was God. He had to be. No man could die. No prophet could die. He was God. He was the God of the prophets. He was the prophets. He was the kings. He was history. He was, he was, he was to come. He, he that was, he that is, and he that is to be to this day, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was manifested for that purpose. 
And through that purpose, he achieved a church that he, the fullness of God, might bring to pass every promised word of God in these last days, that he could get the preeminence, preeminence in the church, the position in his place in the church. Hallelujah. See, he says, she, he is expressing himself. That's his purpose. That's why he died. That's the second fold of his threefold manifestation. First to express himself as Christ, then to express himself through the church. The same thing. Not a different thing. The same thing. Christ was the word and the word and the church becomes the word when it lets the word go through them. How much value do we place on the life of Christ? It's proven by the life that you live. If you allow it to be an expression of Jesus Christ, it proves that the real value that you hold is the life of Christ. Amen. But if you don't allow it to express itself, it shows there's something in your life of greater value. Hallelujah. His fullness of time has come to fulfill his word, to manifest the fullness of the body. That's the word then. That's the spoken word made manifest by the word to reveal the word. Oh my, can you give me five more minutes? Give me eight more minutes, then it'll be noon. Are you with that? Say amen. All right. Then I'll let you out. All right. We'll go fast. Not everyone will express it the same. It is an individual expression of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You've heard it before. We are not robots. Moses. In the the Bible, we'd, we'd read about Moses and the great anointing that was upon Moses. But God took, in the book of Numbers, God took the same anointing that was upon Moses and put it on 70 men. And it did not act the same way that Moses did. Moses could contain that anointing, walk amongst them. He didn't get overly excited most of the time. And he would, he would be able to go before God and he would have it in the presence of God. There was one time, I think it records that Moses sang and I think he danced a little bit possibly. But that was when they came across the Red Sea. And Miriam danced and she sang. And Moses sang the song of Moses. And all these things happened. But then after that, there was plenty of times for Moses to get angry, but he didn't get angry very much. There's plenty of times maybe for him when he was right there in the presence of God and God would record how that Moses was in the tabernacle and the cloud would come down. Moses was on the face of the mountain. He was up there on the mountain with God in the presence of God, thunders and lightnings and earthquakes and shaking and darkness and all these things going on. And it doesn't record that Moses was dancing around and shouting and doing all these things. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. But God took the same anointing that Moses walked around with every day, put it on 70 men, and 70 men went about prophesying. In other words, 70 men with the same anointing Moses had couldn't contain it the same way Moses was. Because Moses could walk around with the same anointing and not prophesy 24-7. But these men got that under that anointing and they just burst out. It burst the seams. And there's two of them that went out of the tabernacle, went into the congregation. They began to prophesy. And they be, Joshua came and said, stop them from doing this. He said, oh, I wish everyone did this. I wish the whole congregation was like this. And I, I believe that still today. I wish the whole congregation was like that. Because here's why. Jesus, we know, had the greatest anointing that ever was. Jesus had the greatest anointing. And he sat down 
the Bible says when he took the scroll and he read the scroll containing his scripture for that day and he sat down and precious words proceeded out of his mouth. A man with the greatest anointing that ever was did not get up and jump and shout and sing and shout. But he sat down and words of life proceeded out of his mouth. But now that same spirit that was on Jesus Christ went on 120 in an upper room and they went spilling out into the streets and they said, these people are drunk. Are you with me? Not even in the, same, in the same measure because Christ had it without measure and he was able to just sit there and preach to them what many of us today would call a boring sermon. <coughs> Sorry, I said that out loud. But, but we find that he, he did that, but then 120 of them got, got it by measure, just a spoonful of it, and they couldn't contain it. Are you with me? Let me say it to you this way. In our day and age, Brother Branham had a phenomenal anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ on him. To a great measure because it's given to you by measure according to the gift of God that's in you. So he had great gifts on his life and he had a great measure of the Holy Ghost. But you don't find him very often going around dancing and shouting. There's scriptures and there's, sorry, there's quotes where you talk. Well, he sat up on the pulpit and was swinging his feet and he was dancing with them. Absolutely. There's a time that he did that. There's a time that Jesus had a good time too. There's a time that Moses had a good time too. Are you with me? But he wasn't doing it all the time. He didn't get up. Every service ends. <laughs> Can you imagine if every tape ended with him just screaming and shouting and speaking in tongues? It doesn't. But you take that same anointing and put it on a people. It might act different. It doesn't make it a wrong anointing, not at all. It makes it the right anointing. But because we might not be able to contain it the same way because I'm not gifted like Brother Random was. So I'll do a different thing and he'll do a different thing and you'll do a different thing and you'll do a different thing. Why? Because it's an individual manifestation of the Holy Ghost that begins to pour out. And we're all looking for it. We say, well, I want it like it was on the day of Pentecost or we could all get looking like we're drunk and stumble out of here speaking in everybody's language and everything would be wonderful. It might not have that effect on you. It might just make you sit in your seat and cry. It might make you stand up and speak in tongues. It might make you shout. It might make you dance. It might make you go home and just be so consumed with the word of God and just pondering on day after day after day. That might be the Holy Ghost moving on you in that way. It's different for every individual. But that's the expression of Jesus Christ because every part that was in Christ, he poured out on a many-membered bride and we didn't all get it with no measure. No, but it, together, it's the fullness of Christ. Oh my, but there's a way to access it. What's your attitude? What's the attitude towards the value of Christ? Let me take this a little bit further. All right, we still have time. Three more minutes. All right, took too much time there. He says, but you take, oh my, Ephesians chapter four and verse eight. We'll read about this. It says, wherefore we, he saith, that when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, that, it, that is, what is it, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now listen, this is, uh, Brother Paul Dirks was preaching a while ago. This is what him going up and making the atonement before God. He descended first to the lowest reaches of hell. That the same one, Jesus Christ, ascended up on high and made atonement for us. 
Amen. Made atonement for our sins. And it says, and he gave gifts unto men. And the next verse says, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the perfecting of saints. So what's happening here? He goes up and makes the atonement. And in that atonement, he gives gifts unto men. Let me just reverse engineer this for a minute for you. Because what's happening is he's saying that I made the atonement. It's in the presence of God. But now I need to send an avenue for the people to access the atonement. And through that avenue, through that channel, he sent down and he gave not only his Holy Spirit, but he gave five-fold ministry. Amen. Amen. And it says this, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Hallelujah. The atonement was made, and part of it was to provide a channel of access to the atonement. Now, in the Old Testament, we can pick it up in Numbers chapter 19. talks about the waters of separation, which we won't for the sake of time. But we could talk about the Old Testament where it was only the priesthood that were able to go into the, 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 holiest of, the holy place. And it was only the high priest once a year that could go into the holiest of holies. But that was to make atonement for the people. The, the high priest was a type of Jesus Christ. That he went into the holiest of holies, right into the presence of God, and made atonement for our sin. But now there's also a priesthood that has to live in a holy place. Because the waters of separation cannot be kept in an unclean vessel. It has to be kept in a clean place. Now it's not that only the ministry is able to go into the presence of God. No, because the veil was rent from top to bottom. Proving that everybody has free access to go in unto it. But there's an avenue that God chooses. And he gave gifts unto men. Men that could handle the Holy Ghost to a certain measure. To give you the revelation of the full power of the atonement. Forgive me that I left that right to the end. Because that's a lot in a sentence. But there was a purpose behind it. Not to have preachers to come up here and scream at you and preach. No, but to give you the revelation. Not just that there is an atonement, but the full power that was given at the atonement. Because all that you need to come to rapturing faith is already in the atonement. This message did not provide a new atonement. The message brought the revelation of what was already in the atonement. Hallelujah. And that atonement that was made, it just wasn't revealed until the last days, but it was always in the Logos. And it had to become the rhema, the message spoken out, so it could once again become the Logos living in human flesh again. But it was always there, but it takes a five-fold ministry to bring you that revelation. And your attitude towards the atonement will reflect your attitude towards the fivefold ministry. Because the fivefold ministry is in the atonement, not the message. Brother Brown didn't lay out the fivefold ministry, Jesus did. So let me just say it this way then the true attitude. As Brother Branham says, it's the right mental attitude towards any divine promise of God that will bring it to pass, right? So the right attitude towards the true ministry will loose the full power of the atonement in your life. The true attitude, the right attitude towards the true ministry 
will loose the full power of the atonement in your life. Let's stand to our feet. So the Brown says, improving his word. It's the attitude that always brings the results. It's the attitude that you take towards God. It's your approach. The attitude is what it takes. If you take one, one thing from the message this morning, I know I've been long, but if you take this, the right attitude towards the true ministry will loose the full power of the atonement in your life. Have the preeminence that you desire. Brother Michael, if you could lead us in that. Have the preeminence that you desire in our life. In our life. Have the preeminence that you desire. Speak with our lips and see with our eyes and walk. 